Welcome to the Product Design Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Coolen, founder of UX Cabin, where we create world-class web and mobile apps. I'm excited to bring you a behind-the-scenes look into the lives of some of the most interesting and talented people in product design. We'll get strategic advice on how they got to where they are today and things they wish they would have known earlier in their career. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Product Design Podcast. Today, we have Adam Perlis with us. He is the CEO and founder of Academy UX, which is a staffing and recruiting company for the UX discipline. Adam has a fantastic background. He has been all over the place, and I am thrilled to have you with us here, Adam. Thanks so much, Seth. Yeah. So why don't you get started and just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and maybe what you do for fun. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, just a, a little bit about myself. I've been a, a, a designer for over 15 years in my career, done everything from putting up billboards in Times Square to having you know commercials launch on national television to having apps and websites seen by millions of people. So I've kind of I've done it all, I think, in, in the design field. And, you know, today I run a company called Academy. We call ourselves a flexible product design agency in that we work with organizations to help provide a, a few different things, which I think is pretty unique to the agency world, which is that we, we provide studio teams. We provide individual contract resources. So in other words, freelancers, and we also help companies hire full-time talent. And so these days I, I run my company and I'm a bit of a hybrid designer recruiter, which is not something I ever anticipated doing. But in general, I'd say the things that I, I do for fun are, are that I travel a lot. My wife and I became digital nomads about two years ago, and we've been lucky enough to now travel all over the world. And I've structured my business in a way that allows myself and also all my employees to be able to do that as well. That's awesome. And do you have kind of a home base that you you base yourself out of? <laughs> well, we're, we're very fortunate that my parents have a home in Boston, Massachusetts, where you know we spend some time. And also my wife has a family in Turkey. That's where she grew up. So we have a home there in Istanbul that we're able to leverage as a, a home base. But yeah, a good portion of the year, we're traveling around and living in different locations. Wow, that is amazing. If you had to pick your favorite place that you've been to recently, what would it be? Well, we've definitely explored a lot of different places, but the one that we're actually considering moving to and, and living in is Mallorca, Spain. That's the place where we felt like we had a really deep connection. It had a lot of great qualities to it that we felt like, oh, this is a place you could potentially build a life. And now with Spain's new nomad visa, we're going to maybe take advantage of living in Europe for a little while. Very cool. Well, that is awesome. I would love to dig into a little bit about your background and just, you know, kind of get a sense for your career journey, uh, what you did right, highs and lows across your journey, and, you know, kind of what's what has led you to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'll give a little background on myself. So, you know, my previous roles, I was the head of design and UX for a few companies, including Time Magazine, where I oversaw the redesign of Time, Fortune, and Money.com. I've also led teams at some big agencies, including AKQA and Be Real in New York, 
And I also ran a innovation lab at AT&T AdWorks in New York for a while. And prior to that, those were, of course, my leadership roles, but I was an individual contributor for a very long time. Still, I'm very much a roll up your sleeves kind of person and I'm, I'm doing the work myself oftentimes, but I worked as a designer. I worked as a producer of television commercials, an editor of television commercials. I did motion graphics. I learned how to code WordPress websites in the early days. And yeah, I've been fortunate to have a pretty awesome career where I've, I learned a lot of tools and skills along the way. And really, it led me up to that moment where I decided I wanted to become a, a product designer and kind of discovered this field that really combined all the best elements of design and strategy and business and empathy all into one. Yeah, it's awesome. That is a really, really varied and interesting career. Maybe you could take us even back a little bit, like before career and like, were you always kind of like a creative kid or did you think you were going to go into something different or how did you kind of get your first taste of getting into more of the creative design field? Yeah, well, I guess yeah. no one's ever asked me that before, so I'm glad you did. Going way back, my dad actually had showed me Photoshop elements at the time. He had somehow gotten his hands on it, kind of was playing around with it. He wasn't a particularly good artist or he didn't know much about design, but he was always fascinated with technology. So he kind of introduced me to that. I started to play around. I kind of somehow taught myself. I don't even know how I did because like the internet wasn't huge back then. And over time, like developed an interest. I eventually, when I was in college, I got an internship at NBC Sports where I actually learned how to do production there. I learned how to edit video. And then I had a, a capstone course in my business marketing major where we had to develop basically an ad campaign for BMW. And I ended up actually producing like a real commercial. Like we shot it and then I edited it for their team. No one else had like gone through such an effort. We ended up getting an A plus on the project. And like from there on, I was just like, wow, like I am super into this creative stuff. I love being creative. And I studied business in school. I wasn't going down, you know, the path of like becoming a designer or anything in, in the arts. But you know, when I got out of school, I ended up getting a job in advertising and I started to work with folks. I was an account manager. But I saw the work they were producing. I was like, I could do that. Like, I'm good at that kind of stuff. Why am I not doing that? And I was very fortunate that I ended up getting a call from my old boss from NBC Sports when I was an intern. He said, hey, do you want to become a production assistant over here? And I was like, sure. And I quit my job. Two weeks later, I you know, started at NBC Sports, started to learn how to edit a video and started to learn some other tools like After Effects and Photoshop to like kind of round out my skill set. And, you know, I was just kind of off to the races on, on becoming a, you know, a creative professional. That's awesome. I know there's like so much different advice out there for people getting into the field or just like general career success advice overall. I'm curious if you have any specific like mantra or what have you that's kind of like guided your life in, in the sense of like, you know, some people might say like, say yes to everything and you'll create <laughs> so much opportunity for yourself. Other people say like, you got to be like super narrow focused, say no to everything. Some people are, you know, 
your network is everything. You got to just go out and meet people, go to events. What has kind of served you in helping, you know, you kind of climb the ladder, do all these different things, get all these, what, what has served you best? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I always said that it was kind of my constant curiosity to learn new things. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the things that made me a very unique candidate was that I was always like acquiring new tools in my belt, whether that was editing video or, you know, learning how to do motion graphics to learning how to do 3D design to learning how to code websites to learning how to design websites. I was always acquiring these new skills. And that made me a really valuable asset to whatever organizations that I was going to, going to join. And I think that was really driven by my own curiosity and kind of love for constant learning. And even today, I continue to like consistently learn new things. And it's just kind of following my passions along the way. And I think that like, you know, even now, like my focus has been you know, how to become a better, you know, leader for my business or even how to run a business or, you know, other things might be like, how, how can I become a better advisor to our clients? And so I think having that, you know, growth mindset has really served me super well. And I think it's a quality I also look for in the people that, that we hire today, because it's always a good sign that they, you know, a person with a growth mindset is somebody who knows that they don't know everything, right? And that allows them to grow. It allows them to be a great employee of your business and generally shows that the person is likely going to be a great collaborator. That's a really good answer. I love that. I think if I was to think about that, it's not too different from from what you said. I think when I realize that design and development and working in an agency or working with clients was, you could almost frame it in the sense of every project, every task you do is an open book test, right? And if we frame it like that, then we can, you know, confidently say like, I can figure this out given enough time, or I can propose a solution that, you know, probably fits this. And instead of being in this like school mindset of I have to like memorize everything and retain everything kind of shifted to me where I could just like, you know, take intake, you know, what the problem was and can go research it on my own and figure it out on my own. Like maybe it's a little bit of study or I know like where to go, or maybe I need to stay up all night and figure this thing out. But I felt like just really safe in the sense of like, I can probably find the answer online. Or I could probably hire someone who knows how to do this and and solve this problem for me. And like, I don't know, I feel like that enabled me to like take on things that I obviously didn't know how to do and learn those things. And then I was like, oh, okay, now I've, I've solved this. I know how to solve it easier next time. And yeah, it's kind of like growth mindset, right? But I think it's just like, it was like a little oh, yeah. a little cheat code I felt like in my head. It's like, I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I just have to know how to like find the answer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think all of those opportunities or you can acquire new experiences and, you know, treat them as an, a learning opportunity and knowing that, you know, hey, like failing means that you're actually, 
you know, going to learn something and grow from it. And success means you're equally going to learn something and grow from it. So it's just a collection of all those things over time. And yeah, I think that it absolutely speaks to a growth mindset beyond, you know, kind of the curiosity for like explicitly learning a particular skill or task. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what it was. I was like, sometime as I was like fairly like into the depths of being a front end developer. Right. And I was working with someone who was like far more advanced than me, like senior. I was maybe like maybe approaching a few years into it. I was working with this guy mm -hmm. and I saw him Googling like how to attach a style sheet. And I was like, this is like <laughs> the easiest thing you have to do. You probably do it like three times a day. And I was like, you don't know how to do a, attach a style sheet. He's like, eh, it's just not really like a high, like a high value thing to keep in my brain. Like, you know, <laughs> when I need to do it, I'll just look up how to do it. But it's like, I don't need to memorize like where yep. the brackets go and everything. It's just like, you know, I've saved my brain power for like the really hard stuff. And I was like, oh, so I don't look like an idiot if I have to look up something stupid. It's just what do I want to like optimize my brain thinking for? <laughs> yeah, when I was learning how to code and I'll, I know this podcast is not about coding, but I think it applies. I also had a, a coding teacher, a tutor, and he said, sent something to me that totally flipped my brain. He was like, the best developers are not those who know how to solve the problem, you know, or write the cleanest code. The best developers are those who know how to Google the answer the best. <laughs> yes. And I was like, wow, like that's such a hack. Like, I love that. Like, I never thought about that. I always thought I needed to like come up with a clever solution. And I, I think that really can apply to design as well. You know, so much of the work that we do is observation and learning from others. I mean, of course, learning from the users that we're helping support. It's learning from the business that we're helping support. But it's also looking at our peers, looking at their work, looking at best practices and and helping realize that someone likely came up with a solution to this thing already. And maybe there's some things I can borrow from that to adapt to my solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, thinking back across your career, you've been able to be involved in so many different campaigns and companies and leadership positions and different scenarios. Are there any highs or lows that particularly stick out to you that we could learn from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess I'll start with the low lows, you know, obviously in today's environment, there's a lot of people who have unfortunately been suffering from layoffs. And I will say that some of the best things in my career have happened when I've either been laid off or let go or left a company. And hopefully that can provide a little bit of inspiration for folks who are suffering in this really difficult time. But, you know, some of those low lows, for example, you know, there was a time where I had just got a stint with NBC Olympics. I was a producer there. And unfortunately, you know, the Olympics ended. They didn't have a position for me at NBC Sports that I could kind of roll into. I was on a special type of contract where you would only be allowed to work there for a period of two years. And then after that, you had to leave the company for a certain period of time. And it was also during, you know, one of the worst recessions we've ever had. And so I was kind of stuck in this place where I, I didn't know what to do. And I was very fortunate that, you know, my parents definitely helped me out a little bit with rent and I had some savings. 
And, you know, they really supported me during this very tough time. And I started to really go heads down into learning different skills. So I learned how to become a motion designer during that time, a 3D artist during that time, because I knew that like there was a lot of folks that needed that type of work, especially during that period. And then also I learned how to code websites. I was building a WordPress website. So I started to kind of build the nuts and bolts of like a freelance career where like these were like services that would become in very high demand when the the market turned. And as a result, and since I had such a well-rounded skill set, interactive TV started to become a thing. You know, a lot of the over the top set-top boxes, um, kind of like Apple TV or at the in the earliest days, Slingbox were were like coming out. And eventually the economy turned around. Dish Network gave me a call and said, Hey, do you want to, you know, lead this innovation team at Dish? We're doing a lot of interactive television work. They were very early in that space. And I was like, yeah, like I'm all about it. And, you know, I ended up landing that job and, and that propelled me to a new job later down in my career at AT&T, where I was able to lead an innovation lab. And then that actually led to having an intern at AT&T, which, you know, basically when I first started, who eventually left the company and, you know, finished his degree and then became some somehow in a very short period of time, a director at Time Magazine. And and there he remembered me and, and gave me a call and was like, hey, so we got this position. It's a head of design for like the web team. Like, would you be interested in like interviewing for it? And I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And uh, yeah, you know, not more than like three weeks later, I had a job offer and I'd, I've been able to go and, and do something new. So yeah, you know, that was a low, you know, and of course, like over a period of years leading to this big high of getting this pretty impressive job. And about a year and a half into my career at time, you know, the writing started to become on the wall. You know, I moved the organization as far as I possibly could move it. And I had started to see all these great opportunities happen because I was doing a lot of speaking engagements. I spoke at South by Southwest and Web Summit and Tech Open Air in Berlin and a number of conferences all over the world and telling kind of this story of transformation at time. And people would come up to me afterwards and say, hey, like, how can you do this for my company? And, you know, I, I would always just be like, well, I've, I've got a full-time job. I, I can't really do that. And that actually was the impetus to really start thinking about starting my own company and venturing into the unknown. And, and that meant like actually leaving time. And I'd say that, you know, that was also kind of a, an, a low of my, you know, career because I was, there was a lot of unknowns. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never started a business before. And there was a, a long period of time where I didn't have any projects to work on. I was just building our website and reaching out to people, building our network. And that period of uncertainty was really scary, but I'd given myself a plan. And like I said, all right, I've got six months to do this. I have enough budget to like and savings to like manage that. During that time, I was able to pick up a few freelance projects personally and then eventually, you know, graduate some of those into actual clients of, you know, academy. And uh, we started as a product design agency, but then over the years kind of pivoted into this more staffing, you know, and recruiting services business. And uh, I'll say that, you know, that period of uncertainty was, you know, very scary, but I learned so much in that time yeah. that I would never trade that low 
you know, for the high, you know, like it was, those were formative years and formative experiences. And, and had I not had them, I would not be able to achieve the highs that I've, I've had since. That's fantastic. I think your sentiment around that is, is very similar to what a lot of people say about their lows, right? Cause it's like, maybe the worst thing for someone would be to just be comfortable and not challenged and it just be like steady as she goes and never have that moment of like needing to, you know, really, really pedal fast or learn something new to, you know, to push you to that. Right. Cause may, we don't know what the, the trajectory of your career might've been like uh, otherwise. And just being able to respond to that, rebound to that. And as the, you know, rise from the ashes, like the proverbial Phoenix, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed. I think that there are a lot of people out there that definitely share in that experience. And, you know, I think that, as I said before, you know, failure is a big part of the process. You know, I didn't always get it right, um, but I kind of followed my passions. I, I followed you know, I think a pretty good sound strategy of approaching kind of the problem spaces I was trying to tackle. And yeah, I, I think that it ended up working for cool. me. So yeah, let's dive in and talk about some of your UX recruiting business. So this is really, really fascinating. And I, I'm sure it's really rewarding because you get to help a lot of people and companies at the same time. But yeah, maybe you can kind of just kind of start us off with the lay of the land, you know, what are companies looking for in UX designers, product designers alike? Sure. Yeah. Well, why don't I tell you a little bit about our business first, because it is pretty unique. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode, you know, we, we take a very unique approach to our business. In fact, there aren't a lot of agencies out there and I do consider us among the first to have kind of started a model like this, that really we're calling ourselves a flexible product design agency. And the reason is, is that we realized that our clients don't always need a full team, a full studio of people to work on a project. In fact, you know, we've been around for about six years, but in three of those years, we operated as as a traditional agency, you know, basically building apps and websites and experiences and providing you know, all the resources involved with that, UX research, product designers, product managers, UX writers, et cetera. But not every project required that. And some of our clients would say, hey, like, we don't need the full team this time. Can we just have an individual or a few individuals or someone from a specific discipline for a particular part of the project? And so we started to change the model that we were operating. We were like, you know what? Why don't we try just doing staffing services and see how that works? And it turns out that embedding deeply with teams and allowing, you know, kind of our resources to work really independently with those managers and like work really side by side and helping solve problems was a very effective way for them to operate. It was also less costly for the, for the the business and also meant less oversight from, from us. And we just had to find really, really amazing talented people. And sometimes those businesses also didn't need contractors at that moment. Sometimes they wanted to hire a full-time person. And it turns out that based on my experience and how I've trained my entire team, we're pretty uniquely qualified 
to evaluate talent. And so we started to develop our own interview processes, which were developed by taking the best practices from some of the great design organizations out there like Airbnb and Google, and then adopting them in our practice and our evaluation criteria. But we took a slightly different approach in that we would have people interview with us, but it was part evaluative, but it was also a way for us to give them candid feedback about their candidacy, right? It's so hard to get feedback from your peers who might be your friends and they don't want to be honest with you. And then it may be hard to get feedback from the places that you interview with. So instead, we can be this unbiased party that works totally for free on your behalf, helping you look like the best candidate you can possibly be so that you can achieve your goals and find a great opportunity. And so that our clients can also uncover these diamonds in the rough who just may not be showing themselves in the best possible light. And so we take opportunities at every stage of our interview process to ensure that the person gets some form of feedback. At the earliest stages, we give them tools and resources through our blog content. People who have made it a little bit further may get written feedback over email. And then people who have made it further in the process will get verbal feedback and sometimes even a session one-on-one with myself or one of the members of our team, where we'll give them feedback on things like their portfolio, their presentation, their style of presentation, how they tell their story, things that might be missing from their LinkedIn, any confusion about their background or red flags that we're seeing. And those that kind of advice from a very candid point of view, I think has significantly impacted the folks that we've worked with. And so so much so that we get amazing thank you letters and we get amazing folks who maybe even don't end up using our service to help them find a role, but in some cases come back to us because they got a role and become clients of ours. So it's a really amazing win-win-win situation where you know, the talent wins, our clients win, and, and as a result, we win as a business. Wow, that is incredible. That seems like kind of like the perfect form of recruiting because what like everyone kind of has the same gripe about recruiting and staffing, right? Where it's like, this person doesn't know anything that yeah. they're talking about. They have no clue. <laughs> the role that they're suggesting me for is completely not even something like within the realm of like possibility that I would want to do. And so it's just like, you have no trust in this company. They obviously haven't done their, you know, research on you or on the the field. So it's just like a lose, lose, lose right. <laughs> all around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can say that, that we, we honestly, in true form, we UXed ourselves, right? We, we took a look at the industry. We said, Staffing and recruiting services are broken. What are the, the, the core things that are really making people upset with them? And how can we repair that relationship? And I think there's three fundamental areas. One we already talked about, which is providing candid feedback to the people that we work with and, and acting with their best interest in mind and being an advocate for them and helping them and being empathetic towards them and not treating them like a piece of meat. It was also about changing the way that we operated our business. We don't work on pure contingency, which means we're more incentivized to do really high quality work. It means that we're not just 
sending as many candidates over who check a box to our clients. We're actually evaluating them deeply and determining if they're really the right fit for the organization on a behavioral and skill-based level, right? And we're also committed to never ghosting anybody, right? If somebody is going to apply for a role, that's one thing. We're evaluating a lot of different people and not everybody's going to get a personalized response to that. But for people who do email us directly, we are committed to always getting back to them with an actual human response so that they don't feel like they are unclear about next steps in their process so that they can improve their chances of being able to get a, get a role. Nice. And so with that, and as you mentioned before, it's really important that we actually know our field and our stuff. So, you know, for you can speak to us very candidly about the, the work that you do. We can give you very tangible advice. We're not confusing, you know, a product designer with somebody who designs chairs. We actually can speak intelligently about the field. And that's not a knock on other staffing or recruitment firms. It's meant to be a, a very serious approach to, to our business. And we want to fix those things. We think it's, it's really important. We, we hope that we can change the industry and also repair a lot of the relationships that have been soured by what frankly is just bad recruiting. Nice. So where do you go to find designers? Maybe this is, you know, trade secrets, but I'm curious, do do people come to you? (laughs) Do you go find them? How does that work? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's definitely a combination of both. You know, I think, you know, we're very lucky that we've been able to establish a great pipeline and great reputation in the industry. So we do get a a good amount of people coming to us, whether that be through social channels, our content, um, that can also be through recommendations. All those things lead to a lot of inbound talent inquiries. But we also are very much, you know, out there searching for folks in the market. You know, of course, we use a combination of tooling. You know, we have, you know, of course, LinkedIn is one of the primary areas we search for talent. So I'd say, if you're not on LinkedIn, you should be. It's the number one place we'll be finding you. But we're also going deep into a lot of communities. You know, we're lucky to be a part of communities who have been very gracious and accepting recruiters like us into them. I think it's partially that we are kind of industry insiders and we have the background experience that we do. So there is a level of trust there. And there we're able to mine for amazing talent and build great relationships with folks and help them you know, grow their careers. And I think as part of that, we're developing so much content to help those folks who are looking for, you know, opportunities that I think it just continues to grow the reputation and grow our ability to find new talent. So, you know, having a web presence, being involved in communities, having a social presence, all of those things will contribute, you know, to to us being able to to find you. So it's really important that you make yourself available in all those different channels. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you for explaining a bit of the background of how you guys work, what your processes are and things like that. But yeah, maybe you can give us a little insider view on on what these companies that you work for are, are typically looking for in talent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think some of the things we talked about earlier, including growth mindset, I think obviously their experience, you know, what were the types of companies they were working at? You know, what kind of problems were they able to solve? Having 
detailed case studies about those particular projects and their contributions in them, of course, are totally critical. And we've actually published some great resources on even how to prepare for, you know, interviewing for a UX role that kind of goes into all the details of preparing a proper case study. But I'd say like the thing that I've personally looked for in talent are somebody's like growth mindset for sure. Somebody who's really great at solving problems. And I think that can be evaluated one through their case study work, but also two through, you know, collaborative design exercises where they have an opportunity to help solve a problem with a team member. And in that exercise, you can really see how somebody thinks. You can see how their process works. And it doesn't have to be a problem for the business. Like I did one once when I interviewed at Google, where if you've ever lived in the city, one of the big challenges is that it's hard to get a package to your doorstep that's safely delivered because sometimes your building doesn't have a doorman or a safe place to put the package. So what what should you do? What's What solution can we design for this problem? And uh, it was really a great exercise. And I was able to work collaboratively with you know, an individual on the other side. And they really got to see how I think, how I work with somebody else and what kind of questions I ask in the process that I'd undergo to like solve this type of problem. I thought it was a great way for, for them to kind of evaluate my abilities and um, especially as a problem solver. I mean, that's what, that is the work that we do problems as, as product designers. And I think those are kind of the things that we like deeply look for when it comes to making a true hiring decision beyond kind of like the typical behavioral things. You know, there, of course, there are things from a behavioral level that I think are, are obvious. You want somebody who's going to, you know, as I mentioned before, be a great collaborator, somebody who's not going to have a very big ego, somebody who responds well to criticism. I think those are like some of the classic things that you might look for. But yeah, I'd say like the the things, the intangibles or maybe the tangibles rather, not the intangibles are like when be, when people are able to, to solve problems very clearly. But also I'd say one of the other things that I, I see a lot that um, distinguishes, you know, a great candidate and somebody who's not as great are great storytellers. And I think it's an underdeveloped skill for a lot of talent who doesn't realize that they need to be able to tell a great story. That means telling a great story about themselves as a candidate. That means telling a great story about the work that they do. And that the reason that that is so important is not only to help them secure a job, but also inside of the job itself, you're selling your work to everybody, right? You have to sell your work to business, you have to sell your work to your peers, you have to sell the work to the users that you're going to be developing tools and and designs for. So storytelling is something that I think a lot of people can work on. And actually, I read a great book about it called, I think it's called Building Story Brand. And I'll have to look up the author's name. I think it's Donald. Donald Miller, yeah. Yeah, Donald Miller. Thanks. I appreciate that. And he does a fabulous job kind of breaking breaking down the classic structures of storytelling. I think that that can absolutely be applied from presenting your work and also, you know, presenting yourself. That's awesome. Now, are you helping companies who have a really strong design presence and, you know, they're design maxis and they have a lot of opinions about who they want on their team? Or are you more so helping people where they're like, 
we don't have anything and we just know we need someone in here to to help us out and i guess yeah you know if the if the answer is both you know what are the what are the different strategies then for for presenting yourself to either one of those yeah you know i think that the companies who end up end up actually hiring us generally have some level of design proficiency you know they're, sure. they're not at like the very early stages of like realizing they need like design, I don't know, like a random construction business or something. I don't know, but no offense to construction businesses <laughs> around the planet. For all the construction <laughs> workers who are but, listening. Yeah, just by way of example, of course. But I'd say most of the companies we work with do have some level of design proficiency. They are at varying scales or levels of maturity when it comes to design. And I do think that we often do help educate some of them on certain pieces that might be important, especially in regards to team growth, team structure, types of resources you may want to hire, how to prioritize hiring of those resources. We do a lot of like kind of pro bono, if you will, advisory work working with design leaders who are thinking about scaling their teams. So yeah, it ends up being a, a you know, kind of an extra part of our work, but we really love it and and it helps us, you know, become a strategic partner for a lot of our clients. Yeah. Now, do you have strategies that you can kind of help us learn for like different strategies for applying to different types of companies? Yeah, absolutely. I give folks a lot of advice, of course, you know, in, in the work that we do as giving candid feedback, of course, one of our main tenants. And as a result, we kind of play, you know, career coach to some, yeah. some folks really at, at every level, including all the way from, you know, junior talent, all the way through leadership level. You'd be surprised how many design leaders I speak with who actually don't do a great job presenting themselves, even though they've got really impressive resumes. So we do a lot of leadership coaching and as well as career coaching for individuals. And with that, you know, one of the things I was I was talking to a candidate, you know, the other day who was saying like how do I break in into the field? Like I just don't I don't have enough experience. No one's going to give me a shot because I have no experience. How do I get the experience? And so I I try to give them a few pieces of advice. One is, okay, well why don't you try to find you know a friend or a family member who has a business that you can help work on a project for? Or why don't you go try to take an internship somewhere and like go offer your services for free for a business for a few months and just try to get a few projects under your belt? And we've actually had people come and, and even work at Academy. I've been really fortunate of some amazing inter- interns, and those people have gone on to amazing places. One's at Tinder. One's at Austin Consulting Group, Digital Ventures. One went to Google. One went to Meta. One went to Comcast. And so those were people who literally came and worked with, with us for just three months and like were able to leverage that experience and go and work at these amazing companies and get these great opportunities. So sometimes that risk is really worth the reward. Yeah. I know a lot of people advocate for, oh, don't do free work. I think that that sometimes is misguided advice. You know, I think that there are times where that does apply, especially like if you're trying to build a freelance career or something like that, especially in like, like once you have a few experiences under your belt, you shouldn't do that at all, of course. But I think for someone at like the earliest stages of their career, it can be a valuable opportunity to do that. 
And in addition to like being able to work on projects for maybe a friend or a company that you may intern with, I also advise people like, look, find a job that you really, really want that you want to apply for and take a look at that company, find a flaw in their product or find something that you think could be added as a new feature, right? And go and actually build that for the company, right? Create a case study, go through the entire experience as you would normally, get some user interviews, either from your friends or maybe even some users of the product and really, really do it right. Put that in your portfolio, send a message to the hiring manager, which you can usually find directly through LinkedIn. Either they're listed as the person who's listed the job post, or they also, you can usually kind of figure it out. Most companies are structured the same. It's either going to be the product design manager, it's going to be the hiring manager, a product design director, or like a VP of design or a head of design type of role. Send a message to all three of them with the same thing and tell them that you created this awesome case study, you would love their feedback on it. Nine times out of 10, you're going to get a response from them. And if it's not one of them, send it to their the, the person in charge of design recruiting at the company, <laughs> right? You're definitely going to get a response and it's going to be something to talk about. You're going to be able to showcase your ability to do the work, right? And and I really think that it's an effective strategy to being able to to actually secure a job. And you know, some people will say, "Oh, like how do I have time to do all that?" You know, you got to make time. You know, I, I'm I'm not a big proponent in general of like hustle culture, but I do think that putting in the extra effort on certain things, very strategic, you know, targeted things, can yield extremely high results. And if somebody sent me a message like that, for sure, I want to talk to them. And if it's not going to work out now for whatever reason, I want to stay in touch because at some point it's going to work out with this person because I can see their hustle. I can see the their desire to learn and grow. And uh, it just seems like like they're really exhibiting the best qualities of somebody who I might want to work with. I think that's great advice. And I think if we think about it just in terms of, you know, a, a professional uh, career, right? If you say you wanted to get into basketball and you really <laughs> wanted to break into, you know, playing maybe on a college team or maybe even pro, right? And, and you know, the correlation is we are professional designers. We, there's professional teams. There's you know whatever. So it's like if someone right. offered, you know, if the if the Lakers offered you to come out and and do a workout with them in an, un, an unpaid workout but you really wanted to break into this thing like obviously you would go do that thing right like that's an amazing right. opportunity like just for the fact that you get to meet these people add them to your network and you know they're going to go on to different teams do different things and they're going to remember you to some degree right and it's 100%. And again, if I don't think you should just be doing free work for people off Craigslist who are trying to do some shoddy app or whatever, but it's like, no. if you get invited <laughs> to participate to this level, like if you yeah. want it, if, if this is important to you, you should really highly consider yeah. engaging with them, right? Like this, you got to yes. weigh, weigh the, the upside and the downside. It's like, maybe I waste a weekend doing this, but maybe I get a really, really yeah. good job for a long time that provides me wealth and ability to buy a home or, you know, whatever your goals are. So I think the upside <laughs> yeah. is just too, too far to turn down. 
I couldn't agree more. And, and one thing I want to correct about what you said, although I love the sentiment, it's like, don't wait for the invitation to come join the Lakers pickup game, right? right? Put yourself in that position to win, right? And how do you get there? That's maybe proactively emailing the person yes. who runs the game, yes, right? To be able to say, hey, I'm interested and here's why I should be part of this game. And you can't do that without showing your skills. So what would that person do? They'd probably produce an awesome highlight video of their, you know, right. their basketball skills, right? So that's what I'm saying. Produce that awesome highlight reel of your amazing work. That can be your portfolio. That can be a very specific project that you think speaks exactly to this thing, right? In your example, like if you're an amazing three-point shooter and you know the Lakers need a great, you know, <laughs> right. three-point shooter, show your three-point skills. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a really, it's a good piece of advice. I think you have to make your own luck in this world and you don't do that without taking some really big shots and big swings and opportunities will arise as a result of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one thing that's that's even worked for me at like an agency level, and I'm sure would work for individuals, in fact, I ask it, is when you're doing an introduction, like instead of sending over just a case study or a link to your website, like do like a three minute loom, like introducing yourself, yep. going over a case study or going over a problem that, you, you know, you saw and it's like, man, like I can't tell you how many pe how many times like people will reach out to me. And they'll be like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Do you have any? And then I will say, like, <laughs> you know, first of all, I'll be like, oh, well, like, do you have a portfolio? Like, you know, baseline. <laughs> uh, then if it's like, you know, I'll often be like, hey, would you send me a loom going through one of your favorite projects? And like literally the amount of people who do this is like less than 10%. And like <laughs> this is guaranteeing you to get a response from me. Like. I, I will at least, 100%. I will at least say like good, bad or otherwise, like I will respond to you. <laughs> and I think, I think video <laughs> I, can be a fantastic yeah. way to, to get people's attention and that no one's doing. I completely agree. You know, anything you can do to get somebody's attention, especially creative ways to do so are fantastic. And I have, I have received some, not many, but some looms of folks taking me through their work. And they've been very effective. I will say that don't make them too long. Right. I think your suggestion <laughs> of making them maximum three minutes is a good, good number. Cause I've, I've received like 45 minute looms <laughs> that were like extremely detailed and I really appreciated the effort, but it was, it was just overkill, but I did, they did get a meeting with me cause I appreciated their effort. Um, but I do think something, you know, short and sweet is a great way to stand out. Another person like had a very creative portfolio that they created. They used actually a tool called ReadyMag and they built this like little, like it was almost like a card deck of like experiences. It was very, it was very cool and unique. His name is Gabe Cargara, I believe. I can send you the link and you can shout him out because because he's actually looking out for, for a new opportunity. And uh, yeah, I thought it was just like very interesting way of presenting him, himself and his work. Certainly shouldn't be like the the number one tool that he uses right. for his portfolio, but I thought it was it was it was clever yeah. and different, which I liked. Um, but yeah, hundred percent of the time, if somebody sends me a note says, "Hey, I'm looking for a job. Here's my resume and portfolio," like almost immediately they're getting a generic response of, 
please apply on our website for the role that's available and we'll take a look at your candidacy, yep. something like that, yep. right? But those who write a very thoughtful message to me, it doesn't have to be a loom, right? It doesn't have to be a fancy portfolio presentation, but a thoughtful message about their candidacy and why they really would like this particular role. I'm going to respond to them and at least share more than a generic response about feedback or directionality in terms of what they can do for next steps in the process. That's awesome. Yeah. I wanted to get your take on, you know, with all of the like tech layoffs and, you know, talk of a recession and like all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. It almost feels like it's, it's, really, really hard to either just like get a job, secure a job, or or more so even break into the field with a lot of people coming out of boot camps or wanting to get started. And I'm curious from your perspective, yeah. like having a having a pulse on the industry, like are are people still hiring? Mm-hmm. Is this a good time to be applying and and getting into companies? Or is this is this more of a time to kind of work on your own projects, your portfolio? build? What do you think? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And yes, you know, you're not wrong. The market has been put in a very difficult place for really the better part of six months where companies unfortunately have let go more people than I think we've seen in a very, very long time. I'm shocked it's still not being called a proper recession. I don't know what things need to define that, but pretty pretty much seems like we're in a recession at this at this moment. And then further companies are just simply not hiring, right? They're not loosening, they're opening up their budgets rather. They are in some cases being asked to either cut headcount or cut expenses. And yeah, it is a bit of doom and gloom at the moment. But you know, the, what, the thing I, I tell people, and I would tell them this regardless of the state of the economy, it's like use this time to be able to build up on your experience by taking on some of the projects we talked about earlier. Use this time to network. Networking is 90% of the job to be able to secure a new role, right? I will tell you that in my entire career, and I've been you know, doing this for 15 years plus, I've never secured a job because I have applied through a job board, ever. I don't think I maybe got one interview in my entire life. You know how many jobs I've applied to through that kind of system? I mean, thousands, thousands. I have like a one, I have less than 1%. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like hit rate on that. So in my opinion, use job boards as a lead gen tool, right? To know that a company might be hiring. Start to target very specifically like a salesperson would who the potential hiring managers are and start to derive targeted strategies about how to get their attention by doing, you know, some form of cold outreach, but very customized cold outreach to them. I think we talked a little bit about some of the strategies a little bit earlier in the pod. And then also focusing deeply on developing your network. That can take many forms. That can be keeping in touch with old colleagues and reconnecting with them over time, just doing coffee chats. I've spent my entire career doing coffee chats with people and making sure I keep my network fresh. That means joining communities that can be Slack communities, that can be in-person events that are run by product design focus or UX focused communities, and being able to continue to build and develop those relationships over time so that as you go through your career, 
those people will remember you and they'll be able to recommend you for other roles. 99% or maybe 99.9% of the roles that I've been able to secure were because somebody in my network was able to recommend me for the job. And then subsequently, I ended up interviewing. They liked me enough to hire me for the role. Absolutely. When you can skip the line, go in through a side door or a back door, greatly increases your chances of of getting noticed. And then, like you said, if you can furthermore have someone vouch for you or have someone escort you to the front of the line, your chances for for closing something are just so, so much astronomically higher than, you know, blind applying or, you know, easy applying because you're just in the sea of everyone else. It's, it's impossible to evaluate everyone at that scale. And you just have to like hope that someone sees, you know, logs in and sees your application at the right time or, or, you know, the wind blows in the right direction. But like you said, I think <laughs> if if you can be a little bit targeted and a little bit smart about it, you can greatly increase your chances. I have to have some of the other things in place, like a good portfolio, a good resume, or yes. at least something that doesn't d- doesn't distract or take away. You don't have to be the best, yep. but you know, pairing those things, you'll be pretty unstoppable, and you'll be a, you know head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think it's table stakes when it comes to trying to secure a new position. So yeah, you know, I hope that provides people with a little bit of guidance as well as kind of tangible next steps, especially during this, you know, very down time for the industry. But I'm I'm hoping things are going to turn around soon. And, and we're already starting to see some signals from our clients. We are hearing about things like companies don't want to share publicly that they're hiring because there are so many layoffs, but there are some teams kind of secretly hiring. And that's where like, you know, they may, there may not be a job post, but if you have a great network, you have the inside information that something's going on, you may have an opportunity that other people may not. So that's why it's so critically important to develop that. Absolutely. Well, Adam, this has been a fantastic chat. I appreciate you coming on and sharing so much knowledge with us and advice. I think definitely some of our listeners are going to benefit from this and hopefully be able to reach out and you know take things even further and and get their next job. But again, I thank you for the time and I will let you have the last word. Thank you so much, Seth. I, I really appreciate you having me. I'm really excited to share this information with your your audience. And yeah, you know, if people are interested in in following along with with our content and the work that we're doing at Academy please check out our blog, blog.academyux.com. And also you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. We also host a a podcast in many different events about how to scale design teams. A lot of great information there for, you know, folks who are looking to build out teams of their own, but also great advice and knowledge for people who may be just getting started in the industry. So yeah, you can check us out there. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the Product Design Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and go follow our guests. Let them know they did a great job and you learned a lot. Um, More to come in the following weeks as we bring on new guests. Please hit that subscribe button so that you will get these podcasts uh, and learn a ton about the product design community. Excited to see you next time. Thanks.